With more than 264 million people aged 60 and above in China, the phrase changing demographics has an extra urgency for policymakers. Today we're speaking with Andrew Lee, based in Hong Kong and an investment director for the Capital Group. Now, firstly, Andrew, from your personal experience, what has contributed to China's demographic challenge and what are the practical consequences of a nation having such a fast-growing elderly population segment? Thanks, Jim. Um, just to give a little bit more context, and as what you've just mentioned, China's once-in-a-decade census revealed that the country has 264 million people aged 60 and above, which equates to almost 19% of the population and considerably higher than the 13% in 2010. In addition to that, the 12 million births recorded in 2020 were the lowest since 1961. So while rising living costs, unaffordable property, and uncertain career paths were often cited as major reasons for delaying parenthood or limiting the size of the families among young adults, the bigger elephant in the room is actually a rapidly rising dependency rate. Well, so how does a surging dependency rate impact demographics? Well, let's think of a scenario. Imagine being one half of an average married couple in China with a monthly disposable income of around a thousand US dollar, which is the average of Shanghai. Yet you're living in Shanghai, which is the world's fourth most expensive residential property market, where property prices are standing at almost 6,000 US dollar per square meters. And not only that, you have to also take care of four aging parents alongside three young children in a society with an ultra competitive academic system. Well, life can really feel daunting. And the thought of having a child, let alone three children, which is the family planning policy that China is currently aiming for, can become rather unbearable. Another, um, what are the consequences of this? Well, for starters, demographics are a major driver behind recent regulatory reforms targeting education, healthcare, and property. These three sectors are known as the three mountains that Beijing aims to tackle to take pressure off households, solve its demographic challenges, and achieve common prosperity, um, an overarching vision that incorporates quality growth, social well-being, and environmental sustainability. Now, obviously, it's a huge economy. Are there any specific industry sectors that you see China facing real challenges here? Sure. Um, I would say the three mountains, and they are property, healthcare, and education. Um, and we'll, we'll, let's start off with property sector. It is a strategic pillar of China's economy, accounting for around 29% of its GDP. Well, we've seen that China has recently introduced a series of policies to rein in surging house prices, restrict speculation, and reduce leverage for developers. Such efforts have put many developers under immense financial pressure and triggered an increase in bond defaults. These defaults have led to fears that this could be China's layman moment at the real, as the real estate companies have accumulated around um, more than five trillion U.S. dollar of debts, roughly one third of China's GDP. But in our view, these concerns could be overblown. Um, because China has demonstrated a very solid track record in terms of managing corporate collapses in recent years. And ultimately, higher quality developers with robust balance sheets are likely to come out of this regulatory cycle a lot stronger 
But on the other hand, more debt-laden developers will continue to find it challenging to obtain financing, especially if they have breached the three red lines. A set of thresholds aim to constrain developers' debt based on three criteria, and they are the ratio of liabilities to assets, net debt to equity, and cash to short-term borrowings. Now, Andrew, I imagine with an increasing number of elderly people, this must put a strain on the healthcare system, mustn't it? Yes, indeed. And as a result of that, in recent years, China has been actively bringing the cost of medical supplies and drugs down to reduce the financial burden on patients, uh, which is essential in improving people's well-being and support the push for quality growth of the society. Notable initiatives include the two invoice systems and the growing national reimbursement drug list. This list in particular is used to mostly cover the reimbursement of generic drugs. But since 2017, we've seen more premium and innovative therapies being added to that list. And this will likely be a continuous effort. Um, but making healthcare more affordable remains a very key priority for China, and the government's next focus will then be to reform the pricing of medical services provided by public hospitals, a pilot program specifying how public hospitals should adjust service prices was announced last year and is scheduled for national launch by 2025. Now, of course, when we talk about young people, the topic of education often surfaces, doesn't it? Yes, definitely. And the challenge here is that the pressure from the long hours and essentially a lot of homework and, on the other hand, the financial pressure on parents for enrolling their kids into after-school tutoring have been some of the most prominent reasons for pushing adults back from having children. So as a result of that, last year, China issued a set of regulations to overhaul the nation's after-school tutoring sector, which has flourished thanks to the ever-increasing spending from families striving to keep their children gain a better footing in, in life. And um, these measures include reducing homework and after-school hours for students and requiring companies teaching these curriculum covered in primary and middle school to register as nonprofit institutions. Essentially, this sector reform is part of the effort in support of China's three-child policy um, by reducing societal stress through alleviating the pressure on children and parents to commit too much time and money to after-school tutoring. Sounds like there's a huge amount of reform going on, but what are some of the other reforms that have happened or investors expect to see that will carry investment implications in China? Sure. Um, I think first and foremost, um, it's technology. So we've seen industry heavyweights such as Alibaba and Tencent. They were hit with multiple penalties for breaching antitrust regulations in 2021. So Alibaba in particular was on the receiving end of a record 2.8 billion US dollar fine for abusing its dominant market position in the retail platform service market. 
Um, and within the sector, we expect to see further measures to eradicate um, certain behaviors like monopolistic activity by restrictive, um, excessive, or abusive horizontal expansion. So, for example, one way would be um, stopping online retail platforms from imposing forced exclusivity clauses on merchants to gain market share from competitors and also raising prices uh, without necessarily creating value to end consumers. Alternatively, um, regulators could take a page out of the UX technology space and encourage companies to expand market share through vertical expansion. The rationale is that more constructive uh, competition means more innovation to increase efficiency and product design and ultimately benefiting end consumers from the perspective of value proposition. This also ties back to the common prosperity agenda as Beijing looks to level the playing field for small and medium enterprises to grow. And, and so is China still a, a place for entrepreneurs? Yes, definitely. Um, um, a lot of these measures could help promote the entrepreneurial spirits. Um, which has continued to show great momentum as we see China top several um, IP indicators globally in categories such as worldwide patent applications, trademark applications, as well as industrial design applications in 2020. Now, data security is, of course, a huge topic all over the world. What's China doing about it? Um, well, the new personal information protection law, which took effect on the 1st of November last year, requires multinational corporations that move personal information out of China to obtain certification and data protection from certified institutions. This could really lead to more companies localizing technology infrastructure and ring-fencing data domestically. In this case, excessive data mining, which is a common practice among uh, some of the Chinese e-commerce platforms, would also come to an end. So consequently, um, investors need to be more cognizant about how and for what purpose companies they are keen on are utilizing their data. Now, big populations need big amounts of energy. What is China's plans here with the energy industry going forward? That's a really good question. Well, it wasn't that long ago when China made the promise to achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. Um, and so striking the right balance between phasing out coal power plants, diversifying into cleaner energy, and investing in base load power is really difficult. This will continue to impact the security of electricity supply and make it less resilient to shocks. More long-term planning is therefore required to ensure China has the technology as well as the infrastructure to support energy security. Another interesting dynamic is to consider the intermediate replacements for coal. So gas, for example, is likely to be at risk over the longer term, but it's likely to experience a surge in demand at least until 2030. And as a result of that, gas distributors may see another decade of growth, but their businesses beyond that will depend on their ability to adapt to a low or no carbon energy future. Now, of course, the million dollar question is, what investment opportunities can this create? Well, there, there are a few. First of all, um, we see opportunities in the renewable energy sector. 
So China is a huge exporter of high-end manufacturing components such as EV batteries, solar inverters, and panels. Well, using EV battery segment as an example, one of the key reasons why Chinese EV battery makers can enjoy strong cost competitiveness against global peers is because the country has managed to create a vertically integrated value chain. China is able to manufacture domestically all four core materials needed to make EV batteries. So definitely um, an area with long growth runway. Now, you mentioned earlier on in this interview about property. What's your feeling? Is this still an opportunity? Well, there is no denying that the property sector is going through a rough patch. Uh, but that being said, property management is an up-and-coming sub-segment that can be a very interesting focus. Unlike developers, property management firms tend to be asset light and less cyclical because of their stable streams of recurring cash flows. In addition, many of these companies are expanding into lucrative community value-added services such as property brokerage, financial services, public space utilization, and housekeeping services. So again, an area to look out for. And as we also discussed earlier, healthcare, but how exactly can we invest into that sector? Well, it is a segment that could see more Chinese companies really flex their muscles globally, where uh, within the sector, uh, we see Chinese contract research organizations, we call it CRO, or contract development and manufacturing organizations, also known as CDMOs, are growing very nicely, not only thanks to the increasing investment in pharmaceutical and healthcare technology globally, but also these Chinese companies are supported by a strong talent base, increasing technological edge and cost advantages. So if these companies are able to continue their current growth trajectory, they could very well become the next batch of global Chinese brands. Well, great to hear some optimism there. Uh, If you could say, what is the one key takeaway that you'd like to leave with us? Well, I would say that despite all the noises and challenges, we think that there are a lot of great and attractive investment opportunities in China, but we just have to be selective. Andrew Lee, an investment director for the Capital Group based in Hong Kong, thank you very much. Thank you. Tune in next month for a new episode of the podcast with the Capital Group, Investing for the Long Term. This communication is of a general nature and not intended to provide investment advice or to be a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinions of that individual and may not necessarily reflect the view of Capital Group or its affiliates.